0: hey kitchen nerds for our last episode of the season we are taking it outside a little bit of a change of scenery and since it's 2020 the rules don't matter anymore we can do whatever we want so um yeah thanks for sticking around for a whole 20 episodes it's been amazing Um, getting to do this project with everyone and for everyone and we've learned a lot (laughs) this first season a lot of good things a lot of things that we can maybe work on and that's why we've kind of made the decision to start doing seasons so that we can better prepare um, you know upgrade some of our studio equipment upgrade some of our sound editing equipment and most importantly batch research. So we're going to be taking about a month or two off come back fresh with season two new interviews new formats just you know really taking advantage of everything that the podcasting world has to offer. Um, Yeah so I thought we'd end the season on a really light kind of like cheery note, you know, the sounds of outside, since the only places we can really be in our outside are in our houses. And in honor of August 8th being National Frozen Custard Day, I thought, oh man, what a great time to do ice cream. I realized that it's been all summer and we haven't touched ice cream in terms of as a topic. Uh, so... Let us dive in to one of the most fun episodes of the entire season, Ice Cream. Sorry guys, if this audio isn't the smoothest, I forgot my tripod when we left the house today, so we're kind of winging it. So, what is ice cream? Wikipedia defines ice cream as a smooth, semi-solid foam that is solid at temperatures less than 35 degrees Fahrenheit becomes more malleable as the temperature increases. The word was derived either from iced cream or cream ice and it's a sweetened frozen food, typically a snack or dessert made with dairy that is cream or milk flavored with any spice. Literally, you can put anything that you want into cream and milk and add ice and call it ice cream, including bacon. Um, sometimes it's called co- like dyed or colored with food coloring, or sometimes commercial stabilizers are added. To be quite honest, if you're not making it at home or if it's not like an all organic place, commercial stabilizers are added. Now, how is it made there are so many ways of making ice cream but typically like the very basics of it you have your milk and your cream with your ice you stir those to incorporate a lot of air and as the milk cream mixture is cooled below the freezing point of water you have ice cream forming and this is the reason for cooling it below the freezing point of water is really to prevent any detectable ice crystals from forming. We've all had that over frozen ice cream and it's a little bit crunchy and it's more like snow than ice cream and it's kind of not what you signed up for but you're really in the mood for it and it's all you have in your freezer and you refuse to go out a third time. So that's what you're gonna eat. Anyway, yes, that's why we lower the temperature of ice cream below the freezing point of water is to not have that happen now as i mentioned earlier at the top of the episode we're doing this kind of in honor of national frozen custard day and you may be saying frozen custard is not ice cream well friend it is uh an ice cream by any other name is just as sweet as the great poet once said um The poet is me. I'm the poet. Um, (laughs) The name for ice cream varies from country to country but what really counts is that it's a milk or cream uh, frozen below the temperature of water. Um, So sometimes the name is just like a regional change and sometimes it's it denotes like a particular kind of style of ice cream. For example frozen custard. tends to be like a creamier more eggy based ice cream. Frozen yogurt tends to be yogurt based and which is still milk uh, instead of cream based. Um, sorbet or sorbeto. Um, we typically think of sherbet or, sh- or or sorbet, sorbet to be ice and water based but it can also be cream based. Gelato, which is like that thick, rich, delicious, like, we, I automatically think Eastern Europe, but I know most people think of Italy when they think of gelato. And a lot of non-traditional ice creams just are called frozen dairy desserts, just as a catch-all phrase. Y'all, I think I'm going to post the timeline for the history of ice cream to our social media, because honestly, it's kind of wild and amazing. Let's break it down. So where did ice cream get its origins? It's kind of difficult to tell. The origin of ice cream is a tough mixture of evidence-based truth or near truth, findings, I guess we could call them, and um, very popular myths that are not as evidence-backed. So we're just going to stop at the very top. Start. We're going to start at the very top and just wander our way through history, and I'll try to denote what is historically thought to be a myth versus what is thought to be evidence-based. So Ancient China, around 200 BC. There's a recipe that calls for milk and rice to be mixed together and frozen in the snow. That sounds like ice cream to me, right? Then we move a little further into history. You have Seneca, a Roman philosopher and also Roman senator, around 500 BC, who criticized the extravagance of ice desserts at a time without modern refrigeration 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 and that kind of backs up our first myth here and that is that the Roman Emperor Nero had enslaved people trek into the mountains to collect ice from uh the Apennine mountains to make what we think of the first sorbet which was a mixture of ice wine and honey Now I saw in several places that this is basically considered a myth but based on how Seneca has been documented as uh as criticizing the extravagance of iced desserts me thinks there might be some truth to this myth maybe not the uh Apennine Mountains but definitely someone was collecting snow or ice and bringing it back at great costs moving on through history we come to the Tang dynasty uh, somewhere between 618 and 906 AD where we have a dessert for a chilled i uh, sorry a recipe for a chilled dessert made with flour water buffalo milk and camphor this is closer to what we think today um, as ice cream and actually um, because of that flour it's actually it probably is a similar texture to some of our thicker ice creams which do have gluten added to them for texture now what is camphor Camphor is the aromatic sap of evergreen trees. It was added to the ice cream to increase the flavor, so as a flavoring, and like better the texture of the ice cream. Here comes our next set of myths, but also maybe true? All right. So the myth is that during the Mongolian empire, at some point, the Mongolian Empire ranged about from 1206 AD to 1386 AD. Um, not exactly a recipe, but they are, the myth states that ice cream originated within the Mongolian Empire and then spread to China maybe by Marco Polo which is also another myth however Marco Polo never really mentioned ice cream in any of his writings so we're not quite sure if that has some truth to it however around the 1500s uh the Persian Mughal 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 Empire anyone with pronunciation help I'm, I'm here for it. I'm down for it. The Mongol Empire had relays of horsemen that would bring ice down from the Kush, Kush Mountains to Delhi to make a ice cream-like dessert called kulfi, a dessert that is still made today. So maybe it wasn't necessarily the Mongolian Empire, but there's definitely an ice cream, an early ice cream recipe in that area. Um, Next myth is that Catherine de' Medici introduced flavored sorbet ices to France when she married King Henry II. Um, And she did this by bringing her Italian chefs and installing them in a French kitchen. However, there's really no basis for that. So there's no telling yes or no. Then, another myth. Charles I of England in 1633 offered his personal chef 500 pounds a year or a lifetime pension to keep the royal ice cream recipe a secret. Um, It was referred to as frozen snow. Um, I don't see the king paying his chef especially at that particular time to keep it a secret i do think that this myth has some weight to it because around the 1600s ice cream became available to the general public um not not in england but it not hmm. let's try again what i meant to say was not the general public as we see just Everybody, but like rich elites, because ice cream is still very much the dessert of uh, people who had money. It was very extravagant, as it was difficult to obtain ice, it was difficult to keep it cold while you made it. it just lots of labor. I guess it's akin to like making anything out of caviar and gold leaf these days, you know? So. Again, I don't think necessarily that he offered his chef a lifetime pension, but I do think that he said, don't share this recipe. It's for the royals only. Also, around 1774, you have the first appearance of ice cream in the United States. And this coincides with um, the first European immigrants coming over to the United States. Uh, lost my place um this is immediately followed by some of the first advertisements in the United States for ice cream it would be a tragedy if I didn't also mention that at some time between 476 AD and 1433 AD there was an icy Arabic dessert called Sharabat which to me sounds like the beginnings of Sherbert. But I couldn't really pin down a specific time it just said in Medieval uh, Arabia which would today is so many different countries. So I mentioned a lot of things in these timelines and not all of them necessarily sound like what we call ice cream today ice cream was more of what we think of as like sherbet or fruit ice and not really a cream-based thing yet. It started out as fruit and ice combined to make a slushy type material and it didn't really start to to transform into what we think of the modern day ice cream until around the 16th century, which if you remember to a few moments ago is when ice cream became available to the general public so how (laughs) let's get into it it's not quite clear when exactly ice cream stopped being this very elite thing that only a few people could afford and when it became this thing that more and more people could afford but It's safe to bet that as refrigeration became more and more sophisticated, the cost of ice cream came down. Because now it's not this thing of extreme extravagance that you basically have to go to the ends of the earth to make. So we're mostly going to focus on the popularization of ice cream. Around... 1660 or thereabouts in France you have a Sicilian man named Procopolo or something of that nature who opens up the first ever cafe in Paris it was modeled off of Arabic coffee houses at the time and again the region called Arabia is so many different countries to break down we're just going to continue to call it Arabia for simplicity's sake but remember dear listener it is not a single country today it is an entire subcontinent an entire region of the world moving on so this Italian man the Sicilian man uh, opens up a cafe in Paris called Il Procope it's the first cafe in in Paris and not only serves coffee but also serves ice cream in fact it's how ice cream was first introduced to the general public of France uh the uh, meeting place uh the sorry let's try again the cafe was a meeting place for a lot of intellectuals of the day and it's um kind of rev- reminiscent of some of what we would call salons uh, of thinking uh ben franklin victor hugo napoleon they all hung out at this cafe where i'm sure at one time or another they dined on beautiful delicious gelato or gelato Um, The recipe of which was milk, cream, butter, eggs, blended together, cooled, and served. So, how did we get from that to, you know, Briars today? Well, hopping across the pond, we know when ice cream first got to the United States because it was mentioned in a letter written by a guest of the then Maryland governor, William Blodden. It was still kind of uh, rare and exotic, so more people were eating it than just the ultra-rich, but it wasn't a working man's uh, deal, and it didn't really become so until sugar became uh, much cheaper, and that's due to the triangle trade. Now, I've talked about the triangle trade in other podcast episodes and as this is our last episode of the season and I want to keep it light um I'm not going to get into it here but please do check out our research links and learn more about that so um also around this time ice houses became more popular but in order to make ice cream you still had to have access to an ice house so it wasn't extremely cheaper but it was still much much cheaper than it had been before and then one day an uh, ingenuous man in, ingenuous, a man who was all about entrepreneurship carlo gatti built an ice well to store ice in it so that he could serve ice cream as a street vendor, genius. So this Kalagati was a contractor with the Regent's Canal Company in England and he entered a contract with them to take ice from under the canal to put in his ice well. Now you have the birth of the ice cream street vendor. They sold scoops of ice cream in shells for around a penny, which we're going to get back. We're going to keep in mind, scoop in a shell for a penny. We're going to get back into that in a little bit. Mr. Gatti did so well with his street vendorship, he began to import ice from Norway large scale around 1860. And like... The thought of doing that in the modern age of refrigerated container ships and, you know, flight and incredible um, just speed of transportation still seems like that would be very expensive. And to do so in a time when you don't have any of that seems even more expensive, which is to give you an idea of how much money this man was making. The first English ice cream recipe was published in the 1700s, and it was published in Mrs. Mary Eels's Receipts, or a cookbook around London. But Miss Mary Eels was not one, was not a the person that we really associate with the early popularizations of ice cream. That honor goes to Mrs. A. B. Marshall, also known as the Queen of Icing, Isis. Like, we, we could do an entire episode on this lady. She's honestly incredible, amazing. We stand her. Um, she was a classically trained chef who owned her own cooking school and assorted shops associated with the school. All in all, she put out four cookbooks. All of them had ice cream. Uh, recipes, and she was one of the first people to suggest using uh, liquid nitrogen for ice cream. Her first book was called Book of Ices. It was published in 1885, followed by Mrs. A.B. Marshall's Book of Cookery, followed by Mrs. A.B. Marshall's Larger Cookery Book of Extra Recipe, and her final book was Fancy Ices. Now, In Mrs. A.B. Marshall's larger cookery book of extra recipes she published the recipe for one of the first ice cream cones. She called them cornets and they were cooked with a waffle iron instead of in an oven. I had to look up what a cornet was. It's basically any uh, cone-shaped pastry in French cuisine. It could be filled with things. Um, candy fruit nuts ice cream just really anything this helped popularize ice cream even more because now you have street vendors who are selling um, shells of ice cream and or penny licks but it's not that sanitary why was it called a penny lick because you would get basically a glass ice cream cone filled with a scoop of ice cream you would lick it clean and hand the glass back to the vendor who would then theoretically wash it and then use it to serve another customer later although often these glasses were not washed at all also another little fun fact these street ice cream vendors were called hokey pokey vendors how cool is that anyway we're learning a lot about germ theory and diseases at this time and there is a real worry about cholera and diphtheria and other communicable diseases because we're just all licking the same ice cream cones so mrs. a.b. marshall's uh cornet recipe really Made serving ice cream single service in a hygienic way possible. She was not the only one to invent an ice cream cone around this time. Italia Marconi patented the waffle cone in 1903, and this also helped fuel the popularization of ice cream. They're not the only people. There were a couple of world fairs around this time, and ice cream was at every single one of them. There were Hokey Pokey vendors at every one of them. And that also helped popularize it. So, I know that we dipped back into England. You're like, I thought we were talking about ice cream in the United States. Don't worry, here we are. So, Quaker immigrants were one of the first to bring the recipe for ice cream to the United States. At first, ice cream was mostly sold at confectionaries. Um, but as time passed, it moved from the confectionery to the ice cream, uh, pardon me, the soda fountain. The soda fountain was this unique, think of it as like a diner. I guess, yeah, the soda fountains were technically like the first diners. You could get little things to eat. It was a great place to hang out. They popped up really just before Prohibition, and so they offered a great solution for people who missed hanging out in pubs and saloons and needed a communal meeting place, but coffee houses were not as popular during this time, which we'll get into next season uh, with our episode on coffee. So soda fountains really gave people a place to go and ice cream gave people an alternative to alcohol in fact the ice cream soda was invented which is literally exactly what it sounds like uh bicarbonate water and ice cream or sometimes the egg cream which was bicarbonate water and essentially liquid ice cream mix which sounds amazing um however I've tried an egg cream time and again, and I find it incredibly gross. I don't know how else to describe that. If you like an egg cream, please drop us a line at blunderkitchen.com and explain why you think it's delicious. Because, dear listener, I would love to experience it the way you do. I just have not found the taste for it. Anyway, I digress. So along with the soda fountain, Came the profession of a soda jerk which is literally just someone who works at a soda fountain i just thought it was a really interesting name so technology chugs on uh and refrigeration gets better and better making ice cream cheaper and cheaper and now people are not selling ice cream based on the fact of like we have ice now it's We have more flavors. For example, Baskin-Robbins has started out with 31 flavors. That's why they have the 31 in their logo today. Initially, it was a flavor for every single day of every month. Today, they boast over a thousand different flavors. I still think they have a flavor of the day, which is amazing. But we're getting ahead of ourselves because ice cream is now an industry. We think of like the ice cream industry, but how did it get started? Well, an enterprising young man, which is the word I was looking for earlier named Jacob Fussell owned a, a dairy. He was referred to as a milk dealer and I can't Im- imagine that he would be a milk dealer without owning a dairy. Um, But maybe he just bought milk from dairies. Anyway, a milk dealer named Jacob Fussell in 1857 um, started shipping, started mass producing ice cream and shipping it by train from Seven Valleys, Pennsylvania to Baltimore, Maryland, which is a four hour train ride at the very least. Honestly, I'm in awe. And this was possible because of a ton of things. Steam power, mechanical refrigeration, the homogenizer, which is a device that blends things up really well. Um, You know, electricity, uh, packing machines, new processes for freezing. But I still think that's amazing. In 1857, you're training uh ice cream four hours and it gets there and it's delicious honestly amazing so because of this grocery stores were able to begin carrying ice cream and by the 1930s we see a decline of ice cream parlors because you could just go to the grocery store and get it and along with that comes the invention of the ice cream sundae um again much like the in- actual invention of ice cream it's difficult to pinpoint there are four cities that purport to be the birthplace of ice cream of the ice cream sundae buffalo new york ithaca new york two rivers wisconsin and evanston illinois whoever invented the ice cream sundae invented it uh, by to circumvent sunday blue laws which were a set of laws that say you can't do certain things on sunday because of religious reasons Um, so Christians said it was sinful to enjoy rich desserts on the Sabbath Um, so someone said what if we just didn't make ice cream sodas we just made ice cream ice cream instead which to me an ice cream sundae seems way more rich than an ice cream soda but go off I guess so anyway, um, they used ice cream instead of syrup to make their ice cream uh, sodas and called it a Sunday. The Y was later changed to an E in order not to appear blasphemous to, you know, the group of people that said you can't have ice cream sodas on Sundays. Um, as history goes on in the United States, ice cream becomes a symbol of patriotism and morale. Uh during World War II, the different branches of the military would compete amongst one another to see who could serve the most ice cream to their soldiers. It was a great way of of boosting what I'm sure is a, a terrible time. Uh this also ironically or on purpose, interestingly, there we go. Led to the first floating ice cream parlor which was built in 1945 in the western pacific for sailors um when the war ended and war rationing ended with it um americans celebrated by eating 20 quarts of ice cream per per person in 1946 Uh, that's a lot today we have so many different kinds. You know, soft serve was introduced in the early 20th century, and that just came about because of technology. You know, you're, you put more air into the ice cream, which makes it softer and also cheaper to produce. It was popularized by chains such as Dairy Queen, Carvel, and Tasty Freeze. And uh, a hometown favorite in New York, Mr. Softy. Gluten was later added to help stabilize ice cream that basically helps to keep it from melting between the store and your hot car and your house. Uh, In the 1980s, we saw a rise of thicker, quote, premium or, quote, super premium ice creams. And these were popularized by brands such as Ben & Jerry's, the Chocolate Shop Ice Cream Company, which I was not able to find uh, on record today, and Haagen-Dazs, which, fun fact, is not a real word in any language. They just made it up to sound fancy, and I think they're doing a great job. Um, today, with a lot of the rise of allergies and dairy concerns um, and just different dietary restrictions and needs, you see a lot of alternatives to dairy-based ice cream, such as oat, oat cream, Almond ice cream, soy ice cream, coconut cream, and tofu-based ice cream. I've tried a lot of these, and I would say the best is honestly a blend of everything. We have a ice cream shop called Van Leeuwen's here, and their vegan ice cream is just amazing. And it's a blend of all these different ice creams. Ah, Delicious, amazing, fantastic. Ugh, ice cream is honestly one of my favorite desserts. today's recipe for ice cream is super easy no churn ice cream Um, if you want to make this a little bit lighter substitute one cup of the happy whipping cream for a cup of Greek yogurt or Icelandic uh, skier yogurt something like really really thick and that'll just make it a little bit lighter or you could just not freeze it as long I guess as well so you'll need Two cups of heavy whipping cream, 14 ounces of sweetened condensed milk, uh, and then your flavoring. Um, you know if you want vanilla ice cream, a teaspoon of vanilla, you could do like a few drops of almond essence. Um, I love mango and ginger, so I put mango and ginger. Honestly, it's up to you. Uh, very free form. In a cold mixing bowl with a cold um, whisk. Either by hand or in your KitchenAid mixer, whip the cream into stiff peaks. Then you're going to gently fold in the condensed milk a little at a time with a spatula. You don't want to kind of squish out the air that you've now made with your whipped cream. Condensed milk, once that's incorporated, add your flavoring. Again, take your time there's absolutely no rush in a freezer safe container pile that bad boy and freeze it for at least four hours but for best results freeze it overnight also a metal or insulated container is best for freezing but honestly just any container will work and uh there you go sweet easy delicious ice cream treat just like that season one is over um guys I cannot thank you enough for making this such uh an amazing and fantastic road you know I've learned so much on this you know this journey of this first year and I can't believe it's been a year Ah, I've got to learn so much cool stuff and it's been so much fun to share it with you and you know this break is not because we don't find it interesting anymore. We really just want to tighten up things on the ship and make sure that we're putting out an amazing, fantastic product for you. Um, You know, there's still 20 episodes to go through in the meantime. You can head over to blenderkitchen.com and read up on some of our research. Meanwhile, we're gonna be plotting, planning, testing, and putting out fantastic product for you to come back to for season two. Uh, Follow us on social media. We are only on the gram now, at Blender Kitchen. And as always, you can find us on BlenderKitchen.com. We're trying to make it big, guys. We wanna bring more people into the kitchen nerd fandom, and we need your help to do it. Like us on your favorite listening platform, subscribe to us on your favorite listening platform or just tell one friend about it um, if you can drop a review these algorithms are kind of funky and they like people to talk about your podcast and not just you know listen to your podcast so we would be incredibly appreciative if you could do that like beyond words if you could do that um, yeah if you have anything that you want to hear in the new season please do not hesitate to send us an email at BlenderKitchen.com. Um, there's a little contact survey form available on the site. You know, we want to talk about the stuff you want to hear about. So, thank you and good night.